Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Nick, today's episode of the pod is presented by Stamps.com. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. I know you you use Stamps.com. I do. I do. Look, look love Stamps, don't love the post office. No, That's always does. been my story. I, I know, does. sadly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is true. I mean, like stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. The other day, I, I remember uh, our old apartment back in Florida, they needed me to mail them something. And I was like, you guys can't do this over a Zelle email, any other <laughs> communication tool that we have. And they were like, no, can you please mail it to us? So I'm like, great. Now I got to go get a stamp. Where am I going to? Mm. That's mm. right. That's right, Nick. That's what the copy here says. It says, tell a story. I'm telling you a story. Listen, folks, whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, which I bet you Nick's wife probably has, or a full blown warehouse shipping out orders, stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer, Nick. No special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want. And you'll get an exclusive discount on postage and shipping from UPS and the U.S. Postal Service. So once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup, drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com, new rate advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timeline to easiest, easily find the best option. Never go to the post office again. All you got to do is just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in POD. That's promo code POD at stamps.com. Never go to that post office again, folks. Hey, everybody. 
Welcome back to another installment of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. My mind's still blown. I'm Nick Severi. What's going on, everyone? <laughs> Nick, man, I, speaking of mind blown, my mind is blown right now at, at how many poops a newborn can take. Uh, for those of you that have been listening over the last couple of weeks, you know that I've recently uh, just had the birth of my second child, my second daughter, uh, Daniela, to the Leon family. So now I'm exhausted. But Nick and I have decided before I get into a deep state of exhaustion, we're going to leave you with some great content. So we are teasing up part two of our interview with Dr. Stephen Curtin here. He's a sociology professor over at UNC Greensboro, He's written a bunch of different books uh, in the field and has done a bunch of research studies uh, across uh, different topics. But most recently, he's working with former Pro Bowl cornerback James Hasty of the Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Jets. Once upon a time, uh, they started a consulting firm, a consulting firm, excuse me, called NNJ. And he built this algorithmic tool called CPASS that is really used to kind of take out the implicit biases that go with hiring candidates, qualified candidates across you know the spectrum, white, black, Hispanic, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And they brought this tool to the NFL and are working with the NFL to try to figure out a way to incorporate this into hiring practices. But we had him on the program to talk about a plethora of issues. Uh, we were so excited to have them. Nick, I know you're super excited with not only the topic of sociology, but what Dr. Kirtan brings to the space. So please enjoy. You don't got to listen to Nick anymore. You don't got to even listen to me anymore. We don't got to change diapers anymore. We don't got to do anything. Please enjoy part two with Dr. Stephen Kirtan. Dr. You had mentioned earlier um, you gave a great summation of what the reality is of critical race theory. And sort of speaking about that from an education standpoint for a moment, um, wh- what do you make of, you know, what we've seen as sort of this ginned up controversy? And I'll say ginned up, ginned up because you're absolutely right. This is really a discussion that happens in college classrooms. And now we're seeing school boards famously in Loudoun County in Virginia and, you know, school boards really across the country engage in an argument that's based on a fruitless premise, but it does bring into conversation the idea that we are, as a country, starting to re- re-examine the role that plays the, the role that race plays in curriculum and the way we we understand as a country the need to have this conversation from classrooms to homes, you know, really all over. What do you sort of make sense of what we're seeing play out in school boards and and what I would consider sort of this this drummed up controversy over this concept that we call critical race theory? Well, just generally speaking, I think that folks are concerned, particularly older generations of people, that their children are going to look at them and say, the way in which you conducted yourself is unacceptable. I have learned through history that this is what was going on. So what I think was happening with critical race theory or any theory that offers critical thinking (laughs) You're not allowing people to right, exactly. independent thought, is that there is a confusion that awareness will equal hate. And I think when you start taking things away and saying kids are better off not knowing this, you are underestimating their power of humanity. Um, teach transparency about groups of people rather than saying, you know, we don't want you to learn this because it's, it's, it's teaching hate, it's hate mongering and things, things of that nature. You're also not giving teachers the benefit of the doubt how to introduce sensitive subject matter. 
So let's just talk about what, what critical race theory actually is. It's, it's and, and I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence. I'm just going to make it as plain as simple. It's, it's a way of looking at the racial impact of legal sanctions. And it's a way to incorporate not just straightforward statistics of policing, but people's stories. Okay, what was really going on? So it's ethnographic research that's involved. What was going on? What is the other side? What is the voice of the other side that's being uh, convicted, incarcerated? What does it mean? What, what is the outcome of these consequences? What is the impact? So critical race theory goes along those lines. It, does it come off as blaming? Well, if the shoe fits, then you have to certainly wear it. But we are just living in a society now. We're not allowing, in my professional opinion, young people the opportunity to be critical thinkers until they become freshmen in college. And by that time, the expectation of professors is that they arrive as critical thinkers. But a lot of my students have never have been in sociologists, but they never heard of W.E.B. Du Bois. You know, the only person that they've ever been taught of is, is Martin Luther King and, and maybe Malcolm X as, as the opposites. So when you talk about this idea of, quote unquote, critical race theory, they're thinking that you're being critical about race from a theoretical perspective. And the race or the sort of sacrificial lamb here is whiteness. So and nobody wants to go through that. Uh, they see it as confrontational. They see it as putting the blame on the so-called white man or, quote unquote, the system. And again, the unwillingness to hear the other side. I mean, there's so many hours in the day which just can happen. Uh, the legislating it away. And it's, 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 it's in reality, all you're really doing when you start taking things away from kids, and we've all been kids, as soon as you tell us what we can't do, that's what we're going to go try to find out about. That's what we're going to go to try to find out about. So why they're taking it away is because I, I, my personal opinion is they're conflating awareness with teaching hate. And so now when you're doing it, I think the sort of compromise has been if you teach about slavery, you have to teach about it from a good and positive standpoint, pros and cons of each. So you have to try, try to, to level the field. History is what it is. There's a lot of wrong that we have done. And not talking about it only allows us to continue to revisit. So African-Americans have been in a relationship, uh, if you go back to 1444, all the way up to now, in about 576 years. And we're still talking about, we need to have a conversation about race. What can you tell, what do we need to talk about <laughs> after 576 years? Now, let's go back and because, Mike, I know you're, you are a numbers guy. 576 years, a generation is 30 years. We have been in a relationship with America for 19 generations. 19 generations. That's 19 increments of 30 years. In 576 years, we need to have a discussion about how human you are and what the equality. When a long time ago, Malcolm X said we need to talk about human rights and not civil rights. So it's always, we're always kicking this thing down the road and allowing our kids to inherit it. And I think the power of George Floyd was that it was a coalition of people that said enough. I mean, there were marches in places where there were no black people. And that's the fear that that kid is going to go home. And I've read this in my student essays that, hey, I went home and I told my parents that they had been teaching me lies with racism. And I'm more, I think of myself as like a Malcolm X. And Malcolm X knew that he had followers, but he would tell those young Muslim men, go home to your father. You need them. They need you more than I need you. And so I tell my students, 
listen, all of this is fine and well, but they are your parents. For good or bad, you cannot go home and tell your parents <laughs> that they've been lying to you and they're lying rather than teach them a, a, a different way. So again, these parents, these elders have had a lifestyle that's up for scrutiny and they cannot stand their children looking at them the way that they are looking at them. Now, some don't care one way or the other because when you are in a dominant position, particularly white, you have the white privilege of not having to learn about anything about anybody else. In this country, and you all know this, you cannot know anything about any other race of people and be just fine if you're white. You'll be successful. You won't have a hiccup. Minorities have to know everything they possibly can about what it means to be white and what they think and how they think to function at the job, to go to the grocery store, to be courteous, and all these things just for a survival uh, tactic. Now, some will say, you know, so that's, that's absolutely not true. And I always tell my students, you have a sociology degree. Uh, can you name any black sociologists? Unless they've taken an elective, they can't do it. So you can learn the curriculum is white, is European white. And so what folks are asking is for you to diversify that curriculum by teaching about the awareness of other people. And they're saying critical race theory, we don't want to do that. The same issue with systemic racism when that was being batted around. Nobody can even tell you what it is. It came on the scene, it lasted for three months. And folks are saying, I'm not individually racism, so how is the system? racist. So there are eight components of the system. And this is what I teach my students. And we talk about how race plays a factor in each one of those components and how institutions operate in conjunction to get a desired result. That's systemic racism. If you just throw that word out there, folks are not going to buy it. They're going to, oh, you're just accusing everybody of being racist. So you have to actually break down these terms. Now, will everybody have the benefit of going to college and learning these things? Absolutely not. But will they have the benefit to listen to a show like this? Absolutely, yes, because we know that media is a social driver and a teacher for many people. And they tune in based on their interests. So I really appreciate your guys' show in that regard. Dr. Curtin, you know, I, I tell people about systemic racism, um, and, and this is a factoid I give them. I, I put a face to it, Okay. Where I grew up in the Bronx, right, uh, the majority of the population that went to schools there, 90% made up black and brown. The stores within a three-mile radius of my household were uh, a liquor store, uh, foods that were high in trans fat, McDonald's, Wendy's, uh, check cashing places, right? Then I'm, the schools were ranked in the lower 15,000, 20,000 in the New York City Department of Education. I moved to a white neighborhood 45 minutes away. That in a three-mile radius. Uh, delis, pizzerias, foods that were made, you know, there, homemade foods that are not processed, right? School system, education in the top 500 of the state, uh, you know, neighborhoods, low crime rates, right? Uh, you know, when you look at systemic racism, that is the example right there, right? Somebody in that lives in this community versus that community. So I do appreciate that you're sharing that with your students. And literally, that is the goal of this show. But I wanted to get into something that you mentioned a little while ago about CRT and Nick asked you about the, the outrage. And it's a perfect segue because there's been some fake outrage, in my opinion, because there's no legal standing um, about vaccine mandates. We are seeing now the media cycle covering people that are willfully choosing to leave a job because it's implementing a rule that they don't want to follow. And mm -hmm. you have no constitutional right 
to work for the Dallas Mavericks. You have no constitutional right to be the head football coach at Washington State University. You have no constitutional right to play point guard for the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving. So I would love for you to get into the sociological aspect of this and why, because we're seeing history repeating itself from 1903 and what happened with smallpox. We're seeing history repeat ourselves where the government is trying to protect citizens and enforce some type of rule so that they get vaccinated or at least protect themselves, right? From a virus that they are trying to at least control. And it's being manipulated. And, and now it's, it's happening again, you know, almost a hundred years later, hundred plus years later. Why is that? Why is history repeating itself from the sociological aspect? Well, again, let's be honest. We, we've all had some type of vaccine immunization, immunization records to go to school and all these kinds of things. I think the more it becomes a political issue and we live in a very individualistic society uh, where people are saying, I have a right to do these things and, and folks are absolutely right. But institutions have always exercised their right to consequences to what it is you choose to do. So these folks, in terms of a social, and everything happens, like you said, in, in patterns. And, and what's happening, at least with this vaccine, is now you're telling people what they have to do. And now it's a conservative movement versus a liberal movement versus an violation of body movement. And we have no issue. And again, governments can choose to, to, to do what they want to do and, and legislate bodies and, and legislate what can happen to a person. Just ask the majority of women who've had the governments legislate against their body about pro-abortion abortion issues. Uh, and think about the panel of men who are sitting there talking about female health care. So when we think about this vaccine, and now you're trying to say, hey, you need to have this, or it's a mandate that you have this. As soon as you say this to a group of people, especially American people who believe in their freedoms of whatever it is, this is going to be blowback. And the more you talk about it, the more it becomes political, uh, the more you put it on the forefront, people are going to just take a stand, quote unquote, against it, even though <laughs> folks have been vaccinated, you know, or had some form of immunization. So when I think about sports, uh, think about the power of the media. When, the, when these basketball players were going against social justice issues, it was shut up and dribble. Okay. Now it fits a narrative about vaccines. Now you got people in camps that's supporting a Kyrie Irving. And again, I don't, you know, it's his body. Um, I don't care what he actually does with it. But at the same time, it's always like I tell my daughter, yes, you have your right to do whatever it is you want, but recognize that your right has consequences and that these businesses can elect not to have you on board. UNCG, where I teach, says, hey, uh, show proof of vaccination. Uh, if you're not showing proof of vaccination, then you're going to have to do X, Y, Z if you want to continue to teach here. That's the institution's right to be protective of students. Okay, I have a right. I don't want to, you know, I'm vaccinated and, and boosted and all of that, but you know, I have a right to or not to. But at the same time, when I walk into a classroom, am I putting these other students at risk by not being vaccinated? So the university has an obligation of protection and liability to make sure that I'm straight to walk into a classroom. And so this is what businesses are, are trying to do. But then you have people, power of people. And we just live in a society where folks will basically protest a warm biscuit. 
You know, it's not warm enough. It's not, they're going to find something that they don't like about an issue. And as soon as you say you can't or you must do this, it becomes an issue of I don't want to. And then depending on who it is, because there are a lot of people have been saying I don't want to and not going to do it. And they've been going quiet into the night, but you can find, quote unquote, scapegoats of media attention. How and why does it repeat itself? With respect to medical, we've all seen it before. Polio, we've all seen it before. Whooping cough. And when you go, each and every individual that has gone to the doctor has seen a list of immunizations and have made checks. So why is this an issue now? In about 10 years, that, that corona, coronavirus, all right, COVID-19, is going to be on that list. And guess who's going to be checking? A lot of us. And then we'll be talking about another issue. So again, it's the issue of the time. It's the political moment of the time. It's the hot topic of the time. And it would eventually go away and people will be silently vaccinated like most Republicans who were against the vaccine, but actually took it. You know, so it's a statement to make. It's cool, but like you guys are in this area, you know that the cycle of something goes away. Staying in sports, Dr. Kirtan, um, I know you've done a, rep- a fascinating report, actually, Mike shared it with me on um, hiring practices and what the reality yes. is in the National Football League. Um, mm-hmm. The league just recently put out a statement. They are in the process of revisiting the um, what is you know what we now know is the, the Rooney rule. You can make an argument for the Al Davis rule, but we'll leave it at that. Um, but with that rule, the and that's what I was looking at the text earlier. But basically, it, it is to say, as I'm reading it here, uh, include the Rooney rule for the upcoming hiring cycle, including mandating at least one in-person interview with an external minority candidate for head coach and general manager jobs per sources of, to the league. Yes. So mm-hmm. with those changes, though, and also just well, before we even talk about sort of the reaction to that, let's just dive into the work you've done, like what analysis you've done and what your study basically tells you as far as what is what is the reality of, of hiring practices in the National Football League and how is that connected to what we've been talking about, actually, about systemic racism? Okay. So uh, and I'll just break this down into uh, three groups of people uh, or three types of franchises that's in the NFL. It's 32 teams. First of all, you have the league, and I want to make sure people understand that you have a league. That's the shield. Uh, the league can make suggestions, and the league could be an overseer, but the league is kind of like, you know, it's the four person, but can they really make 32 billionaires do what they want to do? That's kind of kind of like, no, you, re- you really can't do that. So, but it's nice. You have 32 teams. You have a group of teams that have not hired a black or minority coach and never will. You have a group of teams that have actually hired a black or minority coach. And then you have a group of teams that can be convinced to. And so that group of teams that will never hire, that has to do with legacy. And if the teams stay in the family and they push that legacy and that cultural narrative, you're not going to have that. As team begins to begin to sell and it becomes business oriented with corporate diversity, then you're talking about a shift in changes. And I think that happened in quote unquote 1999. What the Rooney Rule is, is before the Rooney Rule, the ceiling for minority coaches was three. So prior to 2002, it was three minority coaches. Post Rooney Rule, 2003 on, the highest 
minority hirings have been eight. I think it happened in 2011, 2017, and 2018. It, it doesn't sustain itself. So every hiring, every year, there's a hiring cycle, and it, it runs the risk of being reduced to one minority head coach. And I, and I say this because I'm pretty sure that Pittsburgh is pretty stable on their coaches. So Mike Tomlin's relatively safe, all right? Everybody else could have an issue year to year. What the Rooney really does is it's a suggestion that these are the things that we would like for you to do. Uh, does it have teeth? Does it have the power to penalize teams? Uh, there was an issue of incentivizing and now so that that's not really a good idea because now you're saying you have to make people do give them an incentive to bring in someone who's black but let's go let's go to the updated part which is bringing one minority face-to-face candidate and again uh if you think about the argument with tech shram and john Wooten, tech shram said i know who i want to hire and john Wooten said we're not arguing that we're we're, we're saying that have you looked at everybody so if an owner knows who they want to hire you can say bring in anybody you want. I know who I want to hire. This this is this is just a, a a date that's not going to be fruitful. So if there's no backup, then what do you really really have? It's nice, and we'll even vote it in. It'll have a unanimous consensus vote that this is what we want because people they want to give you the well intentions. But the bottom line is throughout it all, where we've been all the turmoil. The NFL is just as strong. People still watch. And even the worst teams, because, and I write about this in my report, the NFL has a survivalist mentality and they're not going to even let the worst teams go broke. So they have asset sharing as well. Those are the things that we we have to deal with. So what do we have next? Uh, My report suggests that uh, we need to approach the owners and figure out their abstract term of want and hope for the good of hope that there are going to be some that we can be convinced and some that will hire again. Now, some will say they're just going to do what they want to do. I concur. But I also believe in the humanity of people and the more diverse bodies that they come into contact with beyond the football field, the narrative begins to change. Because we are in a supposed post-racial society. We are in a postmodern society. And I put those in quotes because these are things that happen on a routine basis. So when I think about the Rooney Rule, I'm not going to disrespect it. It was an excellent uh, approach coming from Cyrus Mary, who participated in the report, and the late, great Johnny Cochran. And, but it was looked at as a civil rights mandate, mandate owners to do something, kick back, push back, no. So that's what, that, what, that's what you're going to get. The NFL has 102 seasons under its belt starting this year. It took them 69 years of those seasons to hire their first black head coach. So progress is slow. Is it possible? Yes. And this report addresses it. The first part of it says, this is where you have been. All right. The second part is, this is where you can go considering these things. And that's where uh, James Hasty came up with the first African-American search firm and NNJ and the algorithm and then the qualitative piece. And the feedback from the NFL uh, has been positive and progress is being made. I must give them uh, due diligence on that. Uh, They're looking at us in this way to help that process. So, again, everything is a process, it's a protocol with the NFL. But 
Uh, nobody circles the wagons <laughs> like the NFL. It's, it's this inpenetrable force, uh, and it can operate with impunity because people still going to watch. They just want their football. They don't really care about all this other stuff that's going on, you know. So it's got to be putting the best product on the football field because people have a good heart to do so. Now, I know some would disagree with that. Yeah. Dr. Kirtan, uh, and obviously you can check out that interview with Dr. Kirtan and uh, James Hasty, the former Pro Bowl cornerback for the for the Chiefs and Jets, uh, on Check the Stats, uh, a podcast that I host over on theanalyst.com. Um, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you, because there could be somebody listening to this that says, uh, you know, I would love to get into sociology. What's a what's a recommendation? We've had other people on this program um, from journalists, you know, um, professors, the like authors. And we asked them all a similar question of the advice that they would give for somebody that kind of wants to get into the field that you're in. Um, what's what's a piece of advice that you would impart to somebody? Well, again, um, sociology, I don't even think it's taught at, the, at, at high schools. All right. You first come into contact with it at um, community colleges and colleges. But if you want to uh, get into sociology per se, uh, and you're just a lay person, um, I would say get into mentoring. You know, that's something that people can do. Mm-hmm. You can mentor someone who is not in the same position as you and learn their lifestyle and their codes, again, is lived experiences. So sociology is not something that you actually have to go to college to get sort of a formal introduction. Sociology is what you guys are doing, learning learning through experiences, learning outside of yourself, and you can get into mentoring. I think football coaches are great sociologists. I mean, because they're dealing with a class of people from all walks of life and trying to teach them how to live by a certain standard. So they're sociologists uh, that are certainly there. I think football coaches can bring in speakers, you know, um, those who are in sociology who can introduce that field. I think a lot of your police officers have had at least one sociology class. So having police officers go into the community and talk about what they learned from a sociology class can bridge community and policing relationships. So I will say just for the general public, mentoring of some kind. I mean, mentoring someone who has an otherness than you. So whatever it is you are, choose the other and mentor them. And that gets you into the social construction of people. That's sociology, how people are socially constructed. That's very well said. If you are a student at UNC Greensboro, I am envious of you because you get to take in one of these one of these classes of this man. Uh, I've had him on two shows now. I may start a third one just so I can have him on third show. I'm about to audit that class. Just I mean, just, <laughs> well, you guys, you guys are welcome. We go a little hard in there. And we critically think. I love it. We, we do discuss discuss critical race theory in there. So we 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 certainly uh, go hard in there. My students, you know, I love them um, and, and and I love teaching. And when I no longer want to do it. So I don't like it. I'll, I'll leave. Um, students, some of them like me. Some of them hate me. Um, there's a few that may go, eh, but, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Well, either way, uh, like I mentioned, uh, you've got two fans here on, on this program. Thank you. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today, Dr. Curtin. I truly appreciate it. All the best to you and continued success. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. An incredible two-part interview with Dr. Stephen Curtin. If you want to check out all of his work in our show notes, there's a link to Dr. Stephen Curtin's page um, and his page, obviously, at UNC Greensboro, where he's a professor. 
Um, he's got his PhD from Washington State University. You got an email there if you ever want to reach out to him. Um, we also have a link available to the study that he did uh, in part for the NFL. If you're interested in what his research was able to gather on that front. Uh, Nick, give me your takes. This this two-parter that we did with Dr. Stephen Curriton, because there was so much to digest there. We talked about the sociological aspect of things like vaccine mandates, critical race theory being taught in schools, um, you know, gangsterism, police reform. There's so much there to cover with him and looking at it from that sociological lens. Uh, give me your takeaways from the, from the two-part interview. Yeah. I, you know, I think he, Dr. Kirtan does a good job of sort of interweaving, you know, everything from understanding sort of the sociology the sociological origins of gangs to what does that role play in in the National Football League, you know, an organization that tries very hard to try to, you know, you know, create an image that is not ironically tethered to the violence that the game actually has, you know, which um, but in all these different spaces, you know, we understand what these theories mean. Um, and Dr. Kirtan's work as it relates to the NFL, as it relates to, you know, studying criminality, criminality and, and gang violence, you know, we see these common trends of, of understanding cultures and understanding how cultures thrive. And he just does an amazing job of showing us how these things all are all connected. So regardless of the space you occupy, understanding the relationships of people and sometimes the fight to maintain those relationships against external pressure, while at the same time understanding what is the opportunity for evolution of those relationships and what what needs to stay and what needs to grow? Um, we see it for in all spaces, from vaccine conversations to the role that it plays in the National Football League to understanding you know urban violence or violence in general. You know, if you want to reach out to this guy, like I mentioned in our in our show notes right now, there's a link there to be able to contact him. He's fantastic. I could listen to him all day. Um, in the coming weeks. We're going to have some new episodes, new guests, uh, topics ranging the gamut and some guests that are going to be promoting some upcoming work uh, in the form of books and films. Uh, as soon as I get some sleep, folks, we are going to be back with some brand new episodes, audio podcast platforms. You know, them by now, subscribe. We appreciate each and every one of you for following and listening and check out all of our social the social media team does a great job of all the content there ig tiktok twitter at can we please talk podcast as always i'm mike leon i'm exhausted mike leon and, and glad that my youngest is 20 months not 20 days or you know 20 hours removed from you know being in in the hospital i'm nick Saveri. oh somebody save me please all right thank you so much everybody we'll see you next time up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.